Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 467 for November 1st, 2018. On today's show, pianist Helen Sung, she's got a new record out. It's a collaboration with poet Dana Joya, and it's called Sung with Words. I'm so excited to have Helen Sung on the show. I've been following uh, your music for a long time, have seen you many times, and I can't believe that I've made it 11 years into the jazz session without you being a guest. So uh, my apologies (laughs) and also welcome. Thank you so much, Jason. I mean, I always tell people better late than never, like how I myself got into jazz. So it's great to be here. And thank you for doing this interview. Well, my pleasure. Uh, We are here to talk about whatever comes up, but particularly about Sung With Words, uh, your new album, which is a collaboration with uh, a handful of vocalists and uh, the wonderful poet Dana Joya. And um, I liked in reading the uh, liner note to this album, uh, the the two things I'm most into in my life are jazz and poetry. And those are two things which you also liken in the liner notes to one another because people always say, uh, believe that there's kind of a high bar to entering one or both of those <laughs> things. Like, I just don't get it is like the common refrain. And so I loved hearing you say that you had that feeling about poetry since your professional life is in probably the other thing that it's most common for people <laughs> not to get. So tell me a little about that. Tell me how what what kind of got you over the hump, so to speak. How did how did you find an opening into that world? That's so funny that you say that because I I didn't think of it that way. But you're absolutely right. You know, jazz and poetry. I, uh, somebody said, "Great, Helen, you chose the two least popular things ever and <laughs> put them right. together on exactly. one record." I'm like, oh, <laughs> thanks for the vote of confidence. <laughs> no, but my hope is that this record will you know, help dispel some of that, because I, I have had people tell me, well, I don't get jazz. I don't understand what you guys are doing up there. And and it seems like there's some secret inis- in initiation that they just aren't privy to. And I always say, don't worry so much about that. You know, just do you like it? Does it um, make your f- feet start tapping? You know, your head start bobbing? Do you, you know, want to dance to it? It's just, if you like it, you like it. And you can trust what you like and what you dislike, too. Um so it's funny thinking right now, actually, about poetry that way, because, you know, we all had to read a certain amount in school. And I remember my main problem with it is I just didn't like being unsure of meaning. Like, what does this mean? Or just 
secretly afraid I was the only one in the room that didn't get it. Um, but Dana is so great with uh, bringing poetry, making it, I hesitate to say the word accessible because I always feel like that has a connotations of stuff being dumbed down, but it's not that at all. You know, I think Leonard Bernstein had that same gift with classical music and Winter Marsalis with jazz, just bringing it to a very wide audience in a way that is very um, engaging and inclusive and fun. And um, recently, I was actually having this conversation with Dana and some people, and he said it's too bad that in... Um, school, he said, usually when you get poetry, you are told to write a paper about it. And so it rarely makes it off the page. And he really believes that poetry is a temporal art, just like music. And that's what he told me initially, because, you know, first of all, he was the first live poet I'd ever met. <laughs> and when I told him, I said, well, you, to be honest, I don't really enjoy reading poetry. And I told him why. He says, you know, don't worry so much about literal meaning. Poetry is meant to be read out loud. You know, listen to the sound of the words, the rhythm, the cadence, the consonants, and the meaning will come at you sideways and it's he's really he's he's right and I eventually started uh, thinking about certain phrases or lines to melodies and I uh, discovered that that would really bring the words alive and illuminate what that poem meant at least for me and so that started me thinking well let me see if I can just write a song using these words and that's how it all kind of started and uh, you mentioned that he was the first uh, poet you'd ever met how did you in fact meet him <laughs> that's another really cool story um i was uh performing for the pbs series in performance at the white house which is taped live there and we had done the afternoon sound check and camera blocking and everything and in between that and the performance they had a state dinner and i just happened to be seated next to dana <laughs> and i remember when i first saw his name played i, I was you know his name his name is his last name is literally a consonant and then four vowels in a row <laughs> like, wow i've never seen a name like that and i thought it was a lady too dana and so when he sat down and we started talking, it was really just fascinating, and um, we just hit it off. Uh, one main thing is um, I, I love to read, and he was like, oh, my gosh, you're a jazz musician who likes to read, and and I love science fiction, and I was so impressed that he knows two of my favorite authors, Ray Bradbury and Orson Scott Card. So it just kind of started like from there and got to know his wife, Mary, and just kept in touch, and um, he very kindly um, included me on some National Endowment uh, activities and functions and um, stuff like that. So it, it's it's I feel very fortunate to have crossed paths with Dana. Now you, I have never seen you perform with a vocalist, although I've seen you in quite a few other contexts. Um, but I know I think I'm right in saying that you had already begun doing that even before this project kind of popped into being, right? Yes, yes. I had uh, started uh, setting just poems by many different authors, uh, you know, Langston Hughes, uh, Edith Wharton, uh, some more contemporary poets, R.S. Gwynn, um, just uh, various people, just uh, trying to discover, you know, what speaks to me and what can I... Uh, what what I do best in terms of just with words and, and setting them to music and I discovered I liked a certain type of poem um, just uh, poems that didn't have any anachronisms in them I thought when, when there was something that really dated a poem for some reason 
it just I, I just had trouble with it. So that helped me in, uh, uh, in this project with Dana because we would talk about different poems that he had was writing and the direction I was going in, and you know he would read certain parts to me, and I'm like, no, I don't know if I could, you know, that's not that doesn't speak to me. So yeah, it was. Um, it's been a long a journey, and I had wanted to do this record several times along that, you know, timeline. But I'm so glad that it finally happened when it did, because I feel like uh, I was at um, a, a place of just to be able to do this project justice that I might not have been able to if it had been earlier. Meet me at the lighthouse in Hermosa Beach, that shabby nightclub on its foggy pier. Let's aim for the summer of 71, when all our friends were young and immortal. I'll pick up the cover charge, find us a table, and order a round of their watery drinks. Let's savor the smoke of that sinister century, perfume of tobacco in the tangy salt air. The crowd will be quiet, only ghosts at the bar. So you, old friend, won't feel out of place. Time and tide are counting the beats. Meet me at the lighthouse. One of my favorite collaborations between a poet and a jazz musician, uh, I was going to say is, but I guess it's actually are because they did a few things together, but uh, the collaborations between Robert Creeley and Steve Swallow. And uh, one of the, which first of all, I highly recommend um, if you haven't heard them, they're brilliant. And yeah. one, one of them is an album that Sheila Jordan sings all of the poems. And the other one is an album that Robert Creeley recites them with Steve Swallow's band. And the thing about poetry that's so often true and is very true in Creeley's case is that it has a real internal rhythm. And so I wondered in the case of, of this work and setting it, did you feel like the music was in any way, uh, I don't want to say dictated because that's that's too strong a word, but was it, was it influenced by the internal rhythm of these poems? Did you find that the rhythm of the music kind of came out organically from the way the words flowed? I would say, you know, Dana and I were doing an interview recently and he said, we just did whatever worked because <laughs> he said he wrote one poem and I don't remember doing this for him. He said I had played a rhythm for him and he uh, wrote a poem based on that rhythm, which you know, in music, technical music music terms, is duple meters one two one two. But it's ironic because when I wrote the music for that poem, the song is in three four. <laughs> so, yeah, so and close. He told me that. Yeah, but, but it's really interesting. So that song needed like an intro, uh, and so I did something more in that duple meter, and it worked out great. So it's just it's like a. Of course, yes, the, the the words influence the song because, you know, there's an art to setting words correctly, you know, with how the stresses of syllables. And I really studied a lot of my favorite songwriters. I have such a respect for that art form. And I wanted to write music that wasn't, you know, derivative because I know it's, you know, I've heard a lot of music and it's in, an, you know, I can write a music in the style of a jazz standard or in the style of this or that. But I you know, went really wanted to go through that journey with each tune where you just peel away the layers, you keep peeling away the layers until you find what's you, you know, and that, that, that's, that can be a painful journey sometimes, but well worth it. It's interesting the way this album is laid out, because generally speaking, Dana reads before each song. It's not 100% that, but it's it's more or less that. And mm-hmm. um, 
I, I have always had a habit ever since I was a kid of not reading the lyrics before I listen to the songs. But every once in a while, I screw up when I'm listening you know, to a, a rock, pop album or a rock album or something. And I read the lyrics and I think, oh, well, here's what the song will sound like. And then I listen to the song and it, it bears no resemblance to the song that I just wrote in my head whatsoever. So here you've almost it's cool because you've almost kind of forced the listener into that position where they they hear just a, a textual example of Dana reading and then it's followed by kind of what you've done with that concept and it's so fascinating because you know he might read something and I think okay I have an idea of what's going to come next and what comes next is just nothing like what I imagined which I <laughs> I really love it's kind of cool well you know I really uh, went through a lot of uh, just uh, pondering how to present this music because I th- you know, as I said earlier, Dana said, you know, poetry is a temporal art too, and I really think how he reads his his own poems is really special and very striking. And um, but I didn't want it to, you know, feel like a school assignment either. <laughs> so just, uh, you know, the first song is uh, his. Uh, well, his the first poem is his. Uh, work meet me at the lighthouse and then the song following that doesn't actually use those words it's more inspired by those words and and um the rest you know i i think it's great whenever just to listen you actually hear an artist reciting his own works and how how he or she hears it and envisions it and then to weave the music in and out i I, i'm really happy with how it turned out a lot of people have said you know it's really fascinating hearing those words set to music afterwards and like you said I I hope it was a good surprise (laughs) (laughs) so I have to imagine that uh, it's it's an exacting task to choose the people who are going to sing all of these words and so could you talk about who you've chosen and how they ended up on the album sure Um, Carolyn Lenhart I've known for a long time and a huge fan of her artistry She's been with Steely Dan for over 20 years and just a great solo artist. And I knew I wanted her to be a part of it. Um, Jean Baylor, uh, such an interesting story. I met her first through her husband, Marcus. And Marcus and I were both backing up uh, Kevin Mahogany at the Iridium Jazz Club in New York a couple of years ago. And she came and was hanging out and, you know, Marcus introduced the two of us. Oh, you're vocalist. Oh, great. And then during the second set, she came up on stage and sat in. And when she was singing, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I know this voice. I know this voice. Where where have I heard, you know, and I'm trying to keep focused on the songs that we're playing too. And then I got it. And I went up, I asked her, I asked her afterwards, did you sing on Kenny uh, Kenny Garrett's, um, happy people and she said yes and I said oh my god I love that track I used to listen to that over and over you are amazing and and so I asked her there right on the spot you know I said would you be available to sing on this project and she she said yes and um she wasn't able to do as many songs as I had originally envisioned and so she recommended uh Christy DeShiel she described her voice as uh was it dark chocolate mocha with whipped cream on top <laughs> mm. <laughs> and she's so right christy's amazing and um then i wanted uh someone for uh mean what you say someone with uh, the special sass uh and who uh and i really uh encountered that in the wonderful Sharnay wade we had done some work together with terry lynn carrington's mosaic project gigs and so that's how it all kind of came together I, and originally i had um 
thought there would be two vocalists and to to end up with four fabulous uh, artists. It was a really cool experience, a great blessing. Yeah, and they are, I mean, they're four very different singers and each one is just totally fabulous on this record. I mean, it's... uh, Thank you. Yeah, I really, really love it. And I'll just mention to folks, uh, if you go one episode back before this one that you're listening to, uh, Stefan Harris is the guest and uh, we talk about Gene Baylor and that one as well. So if you dig what you hear on uh, Helen's album, she's on his new album as well. I'd say it was the stars Reminded me of you But I can't see the stars From Second also got uh, a heck of a band put together and this will take 17 hours if you tell me how you met each one of them but will you just tell me who's playing on the record so folks know who they're listening oh, to oh certainly yeah i mean they've all been longtime collaborators good friends and you know i've been in new york 18 years now i can't believe it it's just time just flies and um so i have the wonderful john ellis on reeds he plays tenor soprano saxophone and also bass clarinet the amazing Ingrid Jensen on trumpet, uh, fabulous rhythm section, Reuben Rogers on the bass, Kendrick Scott on drums, and Samuel Torres on percussion. And they really just do such a wonderful job bringing the music to life and so appreciate them sharing their gifts and their beautiful talents with, with me for this project. And I will just say in a final shameless plug during this interview that almost all of those people have also been on the show and you can check out the archives oh. for interviews with pretty much Helen's whole band, uh, except Samuel Torres, who uh, I, apparently we're going to have to fix that now and collect yes. the entire set. Um, so I know that uh, you've had chances to perform this music live. Can you talk about what that experience has been like, how it's been different from the recording and and kind of how people have received this combination of, of spoken word and, and jazz, which is certainly not a new thing in any respect, but... Yeah, no, that's a great question because, you know, it's a large band and to tour with a group that large is probably not that feasible or, you know, easy to do. So when I tour, I, I usually do a quartet with one vocalist. And so that's that's an interesting challenge because I have to take on some of the tasks on the piano with the second horn part. And the vocalist, you know, uh, three of the songs are duets. And so we've had to figure out a way for her to... Um, 
give the impression of that, but still, you know, it's still one vocalist. And so that's that's always a really interesting challenge. Uh, we're going to do that at the beginning of December when I do a, a run on the West Coast and also in Denver. And also, I've been very lucky to get chances to really pr- present the whole project Um for the CD release in LA, uh, that's exactly what I did, and I did kind of a East and West Coast band with uh, you know my my quartet and Christy on the vocals, and then uh, LA based trumpeter uh, Daniel Rosenblum and a great vocalist Sarah Gazarik, and Dana was actually there to be part of the performance, and that was really uh, a very special evening, and. Um, end of September, which just passed, we performed this uh, same project at the LIU Post newly renovated Krasnov Theater. It was their opening weekend, and it's it's just great to be able to have the whole, you know, whole band to have percussion, because Samuel adds so much to it. He really knows exactly what to play, and not a bit more or less, and just adds such a special dimension. Yeah, and I'm really excited to wrap up the whole CD release thing for 2018 back in my home base of New York City. We're going to be uh, at the Jazz Standard on Thursday, December 13th, with the whole uh, whole band and whole configuration. And I think that'll be a really nice way to uh, close out this year with a full-fledged pr- presentation of the project at one of my favorite venues to play at, the Jazz Standard. from the show to talk about how you can become a supporter. Go to patreon.com slash the jazz session. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the jazz session. For five bucks a month, you get a bonus episode every month. If we reach 100 subscribers, I'll make three episodes of the main show each month. If we make it to 200, the jazz session will come out weekly. So go to patreon.com slash the jazz session, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the jazz session, and become a member today for just $5 a month. Thanks also to Joel and Randy, the most recent supporters. Now, back to the show. You've already mentioned that in the live performances you've had to do some uh, arranging with the vocals because there's one vocalist as opposed to sometimes two uh, on the recording. And so I'm curious about for the rest of the band, uh, these are often pretty tightly arranged pieces on the recording. Can you talk about uh, what, if any, differences there are in the live setting? No, that's a great uh, question and and something I'm always grappling with in live performance because sometimes things happen in live performance by accident. You're like, oh, where do we go from there? And so I would say just we we start from the arrangement as kind of the the home base and starting point for everything. But then uh, I always want to have that element of surprise and mystery because that's 
that's one thing I love so much about jazz, that it can go unexpected places. So I think the more we play it, the more free we are with things because, you know, we get more confident, we're more familiar. And uh, so the arrangements are there, I would say, as kind of like the blueprint, but then it's... uh, the inspiration uh, leaping off point for our flights of fancy, shall we say. And, you know, I've asked a question similar to that probably a hundred times in the 450 episodes of this show. And it only <laughs> just occurred to me right now that I that actually I think I asked that question in a way that seems to bias it toward the artist having to say, well, no, of course we let things breathe and we take long solos and blah, blah, blah. And I I'm just thinking to myself as I'm hearing myself ask that question that I actually really dig arrangements, too. So it, like if if there's a cool arrangement on the record, I'm realizing as I'm asking this question to you i don't know why it's only just occurred to me now but like there's nothing wrong with the arrangement happening on stage too like it's i do enjoy going to shows where it seems like possibly these folks have heard this music before while while they're playing it there's something to be said for that too so i don't i don't want to make it sound like if your answer is no we play it the way i wrote it that that's the wrong answer i don't i don't mean to imply that at all well no not at all because you know as a composer i do want it to be a certain certain way at least in part you know because i did take the time to uh flesh out these songs and some of them really caused me a lot of um it was a lot of soul searching there were some melodies that i must have written a hundred drafts of (laughs) so i do do have specific things in mind that i want from the performer and it's always really cool uh trying to communicate that and seeing what the artist comes up with and sometimes it's it 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 is that and sometimes it's something different that is not what i expected but it's great too and also working with different singers because you know unfortunately not everybody's always available for every gig so i've had to um use folks who aren't on, on the record and it's just really you know like sarah and and just seeing what they bring it it just adds it just adds to the richness of, of everything so yeah I feel like this record is not very much like your last record, which wasn't very much like the record before that. And I'm guessing the next record won't be very much like this one. And I kind of really dig that. Like the first time I ever saw you play, I think, which was probably it's getting close to 10 years ago now. It was, wow. I think at the 55 bar, you were like playing a Fender Rhodes. I don't even remember who was with you. And I, that was the first, I think that maybe the first time I'd ever seen you. And I had, so I had this one image of, Oh, right. Okay. I saw Helen Sung and she plays a Fender Rhodes and it's this thing. And we're in this little tiny place. And then like the next time I saw you, it was something, you know, like diametrically opposed to that last thing. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> Okay, I'll let me just let the pigeon out of the pigeonhole here because I was clearly way too short-sighted about who this person is. So I, I kind of feel like the through line that runs through your work is that there's not necessarily a through line. Like it's this is the thing I'm interested in trying now, and so here we go. I don't know if that's fair or not, but oh well, gosh, um, you know, this, there was some time that passed between this album and the one before, and so that that might have had something to do with it. But you know. Uh, Sung with Words is something I've been wanting to do for a long time, and even the final product is not what I had envisioned originally. So I guess I'm always following what I'm hearing at the time because I feel like that's all I can really be honest about, you know. And and I love the stuff we were doing at the 55 Bar, and I wish I had time to do that more. So thank you for reminding me of that because, you know, I, I don't uh, I don't get to explore that music or, you know, I want to write for that ensemble too. But, you know, it's interesting that you uh, brought this up because um, I'm in the middle of this uh, playing for this Cecile McLaurin Salvant's new project called Ogress and we just <clears throat> did the premiere performance uh, 
couple of weeks ago at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and we have a few more shows in November, but that um, that required me to make my debut on the melodica. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which was really scary, but a lot of fun, and I would love to explore that. There's just, gosh, not enough hours in the day, and and so, yeah, I mean, I, I... Not to interrupt you, but just tell people what a melodica is for folks who might not know what that is. Okay, well, it's kind of, it's like a wind instrument, but there's a keyboard, so I have to blow through this uh, mouthpiece, and then there's a tiny little keyboard that I play through to make uh, notes, and it's it was a great experience for me, because one thing I say in my clinics to pianists is like, we don't need to breathe when we play, so we have a challenge in our phrasing, we have to remember that we need to let things breathe too, because we can just do run-on sentences till the, you know, till the cows come home is that what they say <laughs> yeah and and you know and so that was a really uh great because like you know I, I i say this to students but here's where i'm actually forced to really confront that in person and 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 it's a very interesting sounding it's from a kind of a cross between a accordion maybe a synth sound and it was so much fun and uh i'm looking forward to getting to do that more uh next month but yeah, you know, I guess I, you know, I came to this music late, and I, I love just diving in and exploring it all. And and I think if there's any common thread through it all, you know, I was so inspired by the jazz masters whom I studied with, you know, studied this music with at the Monk Institute. Is they always said, um, you know, Helen, we. And not just me, you know, everybody in the class. Uh, you guys need to know and understand and respect the tradition, but you all, you guys need to music move the music forward, too, in your own way, and that's what we're here to help you do. So that's kind of like my mantra through every everything I do. In addition to being a leader, you also uh, play a lot of other people's music, as you were just um, mentioning with Ogress, and you've you've mentioned uh, other gigs that you've played uh, as a side person in this interview. Can you talk about what what are the particular joys of uh, playing in somebody else's band, playing in somebody else's music? I, I always appreciate hearing uh, other people's points of view and having to serve someone else's artistic vision is a great challenge and a great learning experience always. You know, I, people always ask me, do you like being a leader more or being a side man? I say, actually, I love both because, you know, I get sick of myself after a while. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great to just uh, see how other people think, how they hear, how they uh, put their music together. And it's... Uh, inspiring for me too as a composer I remember th th there was this song I had been trying literally for over a year to finish you know there was just I had one section but just the bridge I just could never get and I must have I almost threw the tr threw the piece in the trash and I was like no no I really love the first part and then I went to hear Tom Harrell play it at the Vanguard and there was one song he played one of his and I don't remember the name of it but there was something about it that I was like you know what that feeling that I'm feeling right there, that's it. So I went home and finally was able to complete the song <laughs> and able to play it. So yeah, I, I love I love doing both. It's 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 all great. And you know, hearkening back to what you were saying about uh, the poetry we all had to suffer through in high school, I think the <laughs> a few of the hardest things about get about poetry in high school is first of all, very few of your teachers enjoy it, so they're not teaching it from a place of passion. Second, we pretty much only read poetry by 
dead white men or the occasional dead white woman. There's nothing contemporary about it at all. Third, we don't read it out loud, and that's the whole point yeah. of most poetry. Um, but fourth, we don't read very much. And the I, I know that for me, when I started to get serious about about writing poetry, uh, the first piece of advice a, a significantly older poet gave me years and years ago was just read everything you can get your hands on. Mm. And the number of kind of poetic problems or poetic ideas I have come up either with solutions for or wanting to try as a result of reading other people's work, I mean, is it's uncountable. I, you know, I just I, I can't even imagine what uh, you know, my own work or what the work of any artist would be like if their only point of reference was what could come out of their own brain. I mean, it seems like, you know, we're we're at, it's absolutely incumbent upon us to expose ourselves to whatever we we can for our own good, if for no other reason, just you know, to no, grow as artists. Yes, such a great point, because none of us have all the answers, right? We have our point of view, and, and I think it only enriches our point of view and stretches it and challenges it and makes it deeper and stronger by uh, being open to other people's, um, their points of view, you know, and sometimes, you know, I, I, I can get insecure and defensive and just remembering to remind myself, no, you know, this this is a art form that's bigger and greater than all of us and and just the, imp- the need for humility and to surrender you know yeah. to this this because there's magic and mystery in all art and i always consider it's an invitation to participate in the divine and so just just to, to you know work as hard as i can and be the best you know i can with my own part in it and just realizing it's part of a beautiful big tapestry you know that goes through time and you know just space too you know i really love that i i like that phrase about an invitation to participate in the divine can you just can you say a little more about that oh sure um well you know i i i grew up in the church and and i have my uh practices of uh, spirituality and christianity and just uh really believe that you know we're 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 created uh, by God for purposes that you know we're all, most of us at least I am you know we're here on Earth to try and unpack and discover that and and tap into that and and uh, participate with Him in the realization of who He created us to be and um, I'm just so grateful to be a jazz artist because it's literally something I never would have thought to choose for myself. You know, I thought I wanted to be a classical pianist. I thought I wanted to to do this and that. And then when I met jazz, it was a really a revolution in my personal life as an artist and as a person. And to be broken down like that and start over in so many ways was really scary and humbling. But, you know, people often ask me, how did you ever get into jazz? I always tell them, God must have wanted me to be a jazz musician (laughs) because I would have never, ever, that would have never entered my mind. And I I really, uh, in my experience, jazz has been used, it's been something that's um, set me free as a person and as an artist and uh, made me a better person in the process because I for me, jazz is such an honest art form because it, it forced me to, to confront myself because basically it's just you and the music. There's no score really to hide behind and it forced me to really look within and ask myself, do I have, really have something to say? Do, what, or what is it that I want to say? And to have to deal with those you know, requires a lot of honesty <laughs> and uh, at least you know, in my experience and uh, just a 
personal journey that can be daunting at times, but, you know, I, I was so lucky to meet the artists that I met, you know, the masters and fellow musicians who were, you know, some further along on the journey who could encourage me and challenge me and, and uh, really keep me to task and also uh, colleagues, people who are, we're all in, in this together and able to encourage one another, so... Yeah, it's been a wild ride, and I, uh, it continues. say that they feel less like they're writing the music and more like they're receiving it or you know channeling it almost so to speak like it's it's oh, a, it's yeah. out there in the in the air and the universe and the energy around us and they are just finding ways essentially to get it into a way that other people can hear does that does that strike true at all with your experience yes that totally reminds me of something the great Gil Goldstein said I heard him uh, give a composition workshop, and he said, you know, as composers, we we hear a lot of music, we're hearing stuff all the time, but now and then, you know, there are seeds of musical ideas that are meant just for you, and you have to pay attention and be aware when they do arrive, because you have to grab them and then do the hard work of realizing the potential of that seed. And if you miss it or you don't do that, it's just going to pass on. And that really struck me. And and, and I, I do experience that in my own writing, because I'll be writing something. I'm like, this is just something I'm I'm writing, it's, it's more like an exercise, and I mentioned earlier that peeling away the layers and not letting something go until you've dug down deep to what it is that's meant for you to say, you know, it's it's a incredible experience. I know that, of course, we're talking about uh, Sung With Words, but uh, every musician I've ever interviewed has already been looking past <laughs> the album that we're actually talking about to whatever the next things are. So yeah. uh, as you look toward the horizon, what's uh, what's out there right now? What are you working on or who are you working on things with? Um, well, uh, 
a wide range of things. Uh, gosh, I just love to take the the most difficult paths. I think sometimes, <laughs> but it's so well worth it. You know, I um, am taking uh, the BMI Jazz Composers Workshop, which is uh, all about big band writing, and I've had the fortune, good fortune, of being able to have uh, some very actually early attempts in this uh, performed and actually even recorded and performed uh, uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center released a handful it's a record called A Handful of Keys last September in 2017 and uh, they actually included one of my arrangements that I also played on it was part of their season opener in 2016 of McCoy Tyner's uh, 4x5 or 5x4 sorry and um, so that's something I really I want to have a book of big band writing that's just it's such a challenge and such a uh i don't know i have such respect for people who work with that medium side of the spectrum I'm you know I just got back from the west coast where I did some solo shows and just wanting to always get more uh, experience and confidence in solo piano playing and I would love to make a record and and then I would love to do something with strings uh I uh played for the Chelsea Music Festival a couple of years ago where I had the chance to arrange for string quartet and that was so much fun because I used to play the violin and just getting back into that world and that mindset you know I was thinking about doing something like a double quartet my quartet with a string quartet so those are a few things that so I think um, the only uh, thing you didn't mention was and then I'm going to write an opera I mean it's like (laughs) how many hard things can you possibly decide to learn all at once Oh my gosh, you know, I mean, it's just, I, I had the opportunity to do uh, work a bit with Wayne Shorter and hang out with him, and he showed me an opera that he wrote at 12, so. Yeah, that's obnoxious. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, you know, this, <laughs> I'm way overdue for one of those. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be looking for the Helen Sung Gamelon Ensemble any, uh, any day now. <laughs> oh, that's uh. awesome. <laughs> So, Helen, if people are listening to this on or about the day that it comes out, it's uh, very early November of 2018. Are there some chances for folks to see you live coming up? Yes. um, I am uh, 
going somewhere kind of exciting for me, uh, Australia. Wow. Uh, yeah, to take uh, part with the Sydney International Women's Jazz Festival, and I will be working with uh, some ensembles and musicians out there, and so we'll probably include at least some of the instrumentals from Sung With Words, because there uh, are selections that are inspired by words. Um, there was um, In the Shadowland, which is uh, a a phrase that I borrowed from C.S. Lewis in his wonderful Chronicles of Narnia, and also a lament for Khalif Browder, which was inspired by the tragic story of Khalif Browder that I first read in the New Yorker magazine, and just I was I burst into tears after reading that. I couldn't believe a human life could be treated with such carelessness, and and I think I'm really inspired by just having done a lot of playing with the Mingus Big Band over the years, and and seeing how. Uh, just amazing the breadth of influences in Mingus's writing, but also how engaged he was with his time and speaking so power- powerfully to it in his music. And this is my uh, one of my, let's say, baby steps in just calling att- attention to just the difficult topic of incarceration and the injustices that are so often part of that in our country. So yeah, so it's always exciting to meet new musicians and new communities. And then I'm really uh, pleased to uh, take Sung With Words on the road for a little bit. Uh, the very beginning of December, we'll do shows uh, December 1st up at North Coast Brewing Company's Sequoia Room. Uh, just a great bunch of folks, jazz lovers, who have just created this amazing venue uh, up in Mendocino County. And then... Um, Healdsburg Jazz on the 2nd, uh, and then I'll be going to Denver uh, to do a clinic at UNC and then performing at, uh, that's on the 4th, and then on the 5th at Denver's Dazzle Jazz Club, which is just a great place to play, and and also there's a great radio station out there, KUVO, that uh, we'll probably also do something at, and then ending at the great uh, venue Quamba Jazz in Santa Cruz and um, always loved West Coast and really excited to share the music of Sung With Words out there. Well, that all sounds wonderful. I uh, I wish you the best. And when your you know one woman vaudeville show or whatever it is that comes next oh, comes Lord. out, I hope you'll I hope you'll come back and, and tell us about it. <laughs> sing a few numbers, maybe. Uh, but what a what a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, look forward to hearing uh, what does come next. Uh, really uh, like and respect what you do. Thank you, Jason, and thank you for just this wonderful forum and opportunity to speak about uh, our work and just get a chance to uh, meet you and meet other artists through your wonderful podcast. 
And that's the show. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music. Find them at respectsextet.com. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the logo. Visit us on social media, facebook.com slash thejazzsession, Twitter at jazzsesh, jazz, S-E-S-H. Please rate and review the show in iTunes. It really does help. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash thejazzsession. And check out new episodes on the 1st and the 15th of each month. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.